Beginning in 2019, the Regional Initiative to Accelerate Carbon Capture, Utilization, and Storage Deployment is supporting the Office of Fossil Energy and Carbon Management's mission to help the United States meet its need for secure, affordable, and environmentally sound fossil energy supplies. This builds up advancements made by the Regional Carbon Sequestration Partnership Initiative by identifying and addressing challenges to the widespread commercial deployment of CCUS. There are four individual regional initiatives that gather and analyze information for their respective regions, work with existing and future demonstration projects, and coordinate certain efforts related to the past and current field projects such as the Department of Energy's Carbon Safe. By leveraging the strengths of the new regional initiatives, it will be possible to identify and promote potential carbon transportation, utilization, and storage projects that will help meet goals for a future net zero carbon economy. The four regional initiatives have been established to further the mission of the U.S. Department of Energy and the National Energy Technology Laboratory Carbon Storage Program. Today's podcast features individuals from the Regional Initiative to Accelerate CCUS Deployment in the Midwest and Northeastern USA, the Southeast Regional Carbon Utilization and Storage Partnership, and lastly, the Plains Carbon Dioxide Reduction Partnership Initiative to Accelerate CCUS Deployment. Please tune in to hear more. Hi everyone, welcome back for another episode of the EGOs and MRCI podcasts. I have four very special guests here today. We have with us Sally Greenberg, Niraj Gupta, Wesley Peck, and Benjamin Warnett. Thank you all so much for being here today. It's really great to, to see you. To get started, Wesley, could you please answer um, first, could you please give our audience an introduction about yourself, which would include your career background, current career goals and passions? And could you also tell us which regional CCS initiative that you lead? Sure thing. Uh, my name is Wes Peck, a geologist at the Energy and Environmental Research Center in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, I'm standing in for Kevin Connors, the actual manager for the initiative. He's He wasn't available today, so I hope to be able to do justice uh, to the project that he oversees. Uh, I've been here at the EERC uh, since 1992, working on uh, surface and subsurface geologic um, topics. And uh, since about 2003, I switched over to the uh, carbon storage world and have been there ever since. It has certainly been a, an interest and a passion of mine uh, for the past uh, a number of years, 18 plus years now, and I look forward to continue it into the future. That's awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate your time and I'm gonna look forward to picking your brain. Benjamin, right. could you please tell us a bit more about you? So maybe give the audience an introduction about yourself, uh, your career background, current career goals, passions, and which specific regional CCS initiative do you lead? Sure, thanks Rochelle. 
My name is Ben Wernett, and I'm a geologist and project manager for the Southern States Energy Board. Mm -hmm. um, I assist with the daily management of the Southeast Regional CO2 Utilization and Storage Acceleration Partnership, which consists of 15 states in the southeastern United States. Um, similar to Wesley here, I'm on. I'm in here. I'm here today on behalf of uh, the project's co-principal investigators. Kenneth Nemeth of the Southern States Energy Board and Kimberly Sams Gray of the Southern States Energy Board. Mm -hmm. uh, prior to joining SSEB, um, I got my PhD at Duke University where I focused on economic geology and geochemistry as well. Um, so again, I assist in the daily management of our carbon management research, research portfolio, excuse me, um, which consists of a number of DOE funded programs, um, one of which is CCARB. That's great. Awesome. So our next guest, Sally Greenberg, could you please tell us more about yourself, your career background, and which initiative you're a part of? Sure. Thanks, Rochelle. Uh, my name is Sally Greenberg. I'm a principal scientist at the Illinois State Geological Survey, where I've been for almost the last 30 years. Mm -hmm. uh, I started life as an isotope geochemist and have been involved in the carbon capture utilization and storage world. Um, since about 2003, so almost 20 years. Uh, mm -hmm. Wes, Wes and I go, go all the way back to, to those days. Um, and um, I um, mainly am focused on looking at uh, the intersection of significant and complex scientific problems and where that overlaps with society and economics uh, and all of the factors that go into deploying science uh, at a large scale. And um, I co-lead the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative with uh, Niraj Gupta. And um, formerly, we uh, at the University of Illinois, Illinois State Geological Survey, uh, housed the Midwest Geological Sequestration Consortium, which we combined with uh, our colleagues um, at uh, Battelle to form a new partnership. And our last guest on today is Niraj Gupta. Could you please share with us more about yourself and your career path and uh, which regional initiative that you're a part of? Uh, certainly. Uh, and first of all, thank you, Rochelle, for uh, uh, starting this podcast series. Really excited about this overall program and reaching out to the public uh, and the stakeholders with this. But uh, I'm a geologist also by training. I have my PhD from the Ohio State University in hydrogeology, and then before that, uh, geology and geochemistry degrees. And really, I work uh, at Battelle. That's been my only job, uh, like many many other people, over the last uh, almost 30 years now. And uh, for most of that time, I've worked on CCS. So my PhD work on deep well injection in these deep formations that led me to work on CO2 storage uh, going back to mid 1990s. And since then, being able to work on various projects and programs and currently co-leading the MRCI initiative with Sally and before that, the Midwest Regional Carbon Sequestration mm -hmm. Partnership or the MRCSP program, uh, that's great. And what I love about these programs is just being able to integrate across disciplines, mm -hmm. you know, from it's not just the geoscience or the deep geology, but also it's a public outreach, the public interface, the regulatory financial everything has to come together. So that's what really keeps it interesting for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. And thank all four of you for being here. Um, it's really great to have a bit of your time. So to kick off our session, I'll go uh, back to you, Wesley. 
Could you please share with our audience your thoughts on some of the specific challenges to your region? And so remind us which region that you lead, those specific challenges, and how do those challenges impact our national and global response to forming sustainable climate resilience? Yeah, sure thing. So I'm part of the PCOR initiative, the Plains CO2 Reduction Partnership, that basically extends from Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, all the way over to Montana, Wyoming, and jumps up to the state of Alaska, who just became part of our partnership when the initiatives were formed. So quite a big regional extent, a lot of uh, uh, energy intensity, uh, high energy intensity uh, businesses in, in this region, a lot of oil and gas exploration and production. And uh, so we have a, a number of coal-fired power plants and they're a big focus for carbon capture and storage. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of challenge with um, how to integrate carbon capture onto these um, generating stations, how to make them environmentally uh, compliant with, with, the, with the way the world is moving today. And then to take that captured CO2 and find a good home for it in the deep subsurface. So mm -hmm. um, we're trying to accelerate that here in the PCOR partnership as much as possible, uh, tackling certain challenges. And uh, in this part of, uh, of the United States, um, excluding the, the Canadian portion in the middle, there are a lot of uh, federal lands. Mm -hmm. um, right now, uh, poor space is often described as belonging to whoever owns the surface okay and if the federal government owns a lot of that land they have a lot of the pore space and uh, working through to find out how to best address federal pore space leasing is definitely a challenge we have in mm -hmm. you know the portion of our our region uh, we have some other landowner challenges on pore space compensation mm -hmm. um, some of those challenges are being addressed as such recently um, in North Dakota, which has primacy for class six uh, injection wells, um, granted its first permit um, last October um, for storage in the subsurface, and which includes pore space compensation and pore space amalgamation or unitization. Uh, we're hoping that later this month, the uh, first uh, permit associated with a large scale coal fired power plant will, uh, will be granted. Um, that also included the work necessary to pull this pore space uh, amalgamation together. Um, the MRV, the monitoring, reporting, and verification plan aspects, uh, a lot of them are written up nicely, um, but very few of them actually been executed because the projects have yet to be uh, turned into full projects. So sure. those are some challenges we're still seeing. Uh, the stack storage aspect that we're pursuing um, in many of the basins here in the PCOR region will provide uh, an untested yet uh, uh, maybe challenging opportunity to how to look at multiple levels of CO2 beneath the surface. Mm -hmm. um, some of the others are um, the 45Q aspect, the, the incentives and the timelines that are on that. Yeah. As there are a growing number of projects um, emerge in this part of the world, um, all of them have very much a timely um, approach to, to getting in, in place to make sure that they can meet the best um, returns on these uh, incentives. Mm -hmm. And of course, that leads us into how we can best address the low carbon fuel standards requirements and trying to iron out uh, jurisdictional 
contradictions and ensure compliance with all the types of incentives which moves our clients further and further towards realization of their projects. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I actually, I have a question. Um, when you were talking about uh, the pore space and all the different licensing and regulation, um, do you ever have any issues with water being displaced or other types of fluids being displaced? And how is there a plan about how to manage that going forward? Or is that all still in the works as this develops into a more and more um, sort of needed field within our economy? I, I think that's definitely uh, a challenge that's going to be not too far over the horizon. Mm -hmm. But right now with the uh, the extent of the geologic formations, they're really good, they're fantastic injection properties. Mm -hmm. The displacement of the water in these open boundary resources hasn't not yet shown to be an issue. Um, as, as more projects start to, to focus in on areas of great geology, there's going to be competition for yeah. pore space pressure. Yeah. And then those displaced yeah. fluids are going to start to become more of a reality. But here at the beginning, um, with the large geographic region, mm -hmm. uh, there's plenty of elbow room for mm -hmm. all these initial projects to fit in there but it won't be long before they start to uh, bump into each other and then there's going to be management techniques needed. Sure. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a whole one person's job all in and of itself to manage that. That's great. Thank you so much for giving our audience a little bit more information. Let's go. Sure yeah, thanks. Let's go over to you, Benjamin. Could you please tell us more about the specific challenges in your region and how those challenges impact our national and global response to sustainable climate resilience? Sure, thanks. So similar to what Wes described, our, our charge here at CCARV USA is to work on identifying existing technical barriers to commercial deployment of CCUS. A lot of the preceding work as part of the regional carbon sequestration partnerships have established the, the technical feasibility for injecting CO2 in a lot of subsurface um, target reservoirs in the southeastern United States. Um, but again, we're, we're looking at a number of existing challenges to broad commercial deployment, which is ultimately the goal of these programs. So within the southeast in particular, there's there's a distribution of industries throughout the region um, that are not always co-located with the best storage geology. Yeah. Um, so there's the existing question of, you know, in, in these areas where you have large volume emitters um, without suitable geology, what is the ultimate fate of that CO2? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so again, I think what we're starting to focus on now is looking at different commercialization scenarios for the region mm -hmm. um, using existing information and in doing so we're also trying to identify areas where we can um, further probe the subsurface and better understand storage potential mm -hmm. so again we we have a good handle on the coastal onlap of the southeastern United States. Mm -hmm. um, but again, for instance, the Valley and Ridge province of Appalachia is, is poorly characterized to date. Um, and, and some of the CO2 storage potential remains unknown. So there are, there are technical questions related to storage potential. Um, but I also think there are other policy and, and, and legal and regulatory issues that are still outstanding. Um, we're 
working closely with industry in the Southeast to try and understand how their needs might be met by the regional initiative, in particular looking at pipeline routing and things of that nature. Um, but we're also starting to, to think a little more exacting, I guess, about some of these these issues that Wes also noted related to poor space. So we're, we're trying to work more closely with large landowners in the Southeast. Um, again, presumably these are, you know, individuals and companies that are interested in monetizing their subsurface pore space potentially in the future. Um, so yeah, I, I think there are a number of challenges that, that remain, but we're, we're enjoying the work and we're enjoying working closely with industry to, again, try and align our program with their needs, um, but also recognizing um, the broader charge of the program as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Ben, for that. Um, I do have a question. When you were talking uh, right in the beginning, you had mentioned that sometimes uh, the geological storage site does not always match up exactly with where uh, the CO2 is coming out of the industrial infrastructure. Do you foresee there being um, a big undertaking of connecting those two? So actually, is there going to be a need for us to potentially build infrastructure to get that CO2 to the correct uh, geologic storage site? Yeah, I, th I think that's a really great question. I, I think most project developers would probably prefer co-locating their source with adequate or suitable geology. Mm -hmm. um, pipelines, I, I think, are, are costly. They require uh, extensive permitting through NEPA and, and concerns related to environmental and social impacts mm -hmm. as well. Um, so the, the projects become complicated quickly. Now, that's not to say that there aren't examples of extensive pipeline networks in the U.S. that have been successful. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think within our region, we're starting to focus a little bit more on um, industry-specific hubs mm -hmm. um, that are co-located in areas with suitable geology. Yeah. We're also, again, working with our industry partners to explore these areas that are currently poorly quantified in their CO2 storage capacity. And we're trying to build out that information so we have a better picture of the Southeast. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for that. Sally, sure. what about you? Uh, could you please go through some of the specific challenges to your region? And how do those challenges impact our national and global response to sustainable climate resilience? Thank you for the question. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so we have a lot of states uh, in the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative, which covers the Midwestern portion of the United States and the Northeast. So we have a lot of the smaller states in the country. And um, like uh, the Southeastern portion of the country, Ben was just describing, we have a situation where in some places we have very good basins that are co-located with uh, sources of CO2, especially industrial sources of CO2, so represent great opportunity. But then we also have uh, portions of the United States that are highly, um, it's highly unlikely you would have the correct geology to be able to do storage at all. Mm -hmm. And they can be, um, you know, there can be large distances. So requiring infrastructure such as pipelines or um, even shipping of CO2, you know, a variety of mechanisms to transport your CO2 from what we would call the source to the sink. Mm -hmm. So the capture location to your storage location. Um, we also have um, uh, many situations where 
we would benefit from additional characterization of deep, um, deeper locations in formations than where we've been uh, previously, offshore locations, um, and, um, and a variety of, again, that sort of connection, thinking systemically about how do you create uh, a carbon management system throughout the region that allows you to um, have commercial storage and collect carbon dioxide from multiple sources for a, a hub type storage scenario, such as the US Department of Energy carbon safe type projects, which we all have carbon safe projects. Um, other challenges um, for the most part, at least for right now, we don't have any states that have um, applied for primacy for class six permitting. Mm -hmm. um, and so you will have the regional offices of the US uh, Environmental Protection Agency overseeing the, the permitting process. You could have situations where you have a storage project where carbon dioxide is crossing state boundaries mm -hmm. um, un under uh, in the subsurface, mm -hmm. um, and you know, and how to manage that. Um, we also um, have some of the country's major, most major, largest population centers, mm -hmm. uh, and so there are um, challenges associated associated there, and 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 an ongoing challenge I think for all of us is stakeholder engagement, environmental justice, and how how we connect what's happening in the energy transition carbon management space with what is happening uh, in terms of ensuring that we have um, social yeah. consideration for social social and environmental justice. Um, and that all leads to, you know, sort of the challenges and the impact. And, and I think we like to look at it in terms of what are the opportunities. And so we see the commercialization for um, carbon capture utilization and storage as a huge opportunity throughout the region to change the conversation that we're having about energy mm -hmm. and the energy transition and to really put a human face on what we as a country can, can do with our subsurface resource um, which allows us to maintain economic development and, and growth, but also addresses the concern, the very necessary concern about our environment in terms of nationally, but also globally. Sure, awesome. Thank you so much for that, Sally, that robust answer, it was wonderful. Niraj, we've talked a lot about um, infrastructure and the legal side of things, social justice. Could you tell us a bit more about the geological challenges of uh, CCS and CCUS? Yeah, definitely at the risk of uh, repeating, but really re-emphasizing the points that were made before. I think the biggest thing is uh, storage resource assessment. So just like in oil and gas industry, it, it took them decades to define, identify, explore, and then really uh, make a resource into a reserve. Mm -hmm. We need that. So that means we have a very big region with diverse geology. We need to be able to do geologic characterization and drilling. It's not the same as oil and gas exploration. So really doing that and figuring out where you have the resource, how much you have before the businesses would put in billions of dollars needed for the surface infrastructure. And that applies to offshore area too, especially in our region. We have the Atlantic offshore, which is not really well explored 
compared to the Gulf of Mexico. Mm -hmm. But that's where the biggest resources might lie in addition to the Illinois Basin and some of the Mount Simon sandstone in the Midwest for us. So whether it's the offshore infrastructure and assessment or the deeper basins, which we don't have fully explored, that's one area. Mm -hmm. The other would be the pressure. Uh, you know, you talked about the, the displacement of fluids mm -hmm. or the resource management. I really would think of that as pressure management, mm -hmm. that whether you have to extract fluids, it applies both to the storage space mm -hmm. and not infringing on other people's space, but also applies to the safety in terms of the uh, making sure you're not, you're not causing seismicity, whether it's you know, any felt seismicity. So doing that assessment of geomechanics mm -hmm. uh, and a comprehensive integrated subsurface resource management strategy, that's what we have to start thinking about. Yeah. So those are some examples of things that you would want to really start focusing and that's why that's why we are the regional initiatives are really best place to address those challenges absolutely so typically um if someone or a team or a company were to locate uh, a potential storage site is it normal for them to maybe do one or two a few test wells just for a proof of concept and then they take it from there or is that process still being worked out is are just big you know people think oh this entire area and they just go all chips in or is there sort of um, a gradual sort of process to proof of concept before a large amount of money would be invested that's a very good point because actually even this morning i was talking to someone else about that is that typically when we look at lo locating these sites we think of one test well you know stratigraphic test well mm -hmm. that's generally okay for a small to medium source in a sort of relatively known area but more and more as you look at these larger hubs like north dakota has one illinois has a couple gulf of mexico has a lot but more and more of these will develop many of the developers we talk to they're not talking about not one million tons per year they're talking five ten twenty five million ton per year type hubs. Mm -hmm. So we have to start moving from the single well approach to a well field approach, just like oil industry. Mm -hmm. So if you have a you know well field in oil, you don't need 5,000 wells, mm -hmm. but you don't you, know, you cannot manage with one or two wells either. Mm -hmm. So really think about what would that well field look like and how do you really fully characterize that area before you make your final investment decision. So I think that's a key point that we have to start evolving our approach in developing these projects to a larger field concept. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you guys, all of you, um, for answering. Those are great. I feel like we're just barely scratching the surface <laughs> as we've gone through what we've talked about. Um, and then uh, I do have another one last question. Uh, Wesley, would you mind telling us how uh, the listeners can become more involved in each regional initiative or how people can just learn more, become part of a network, and uh, exchange information and ideas. Well, I can certainly speak to the, the PCOR region in the north central portion of the United States. Mm -hmm. um, of course, the, the, the internet, um, undeerc.org uh, forward slash PCOR. So, mm -hmm. or just search for PCOR partnership and we'll be right there in the top of your result list. Um, you get access to some prospectus on benefits of joining. Uh, how to join as a member, which then allow you a next tier of, uh, of engagement with uh, other members and the, and the team as a whole. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the biggest uh, benefits are, are realized in, in, in the partners meeting. Uh, Niraj, myself, and Sally, we used to get together a lot more often before the 
world got a little sideways like it is right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's those the teams and and uh, media like this are great for getting people together, but uh, it, it doesn't, uh, it's not the same as in-person. And mm-hmm. uh, the in-person PCOR meetings allow for um, close exchange of, of ideas, updates on what's happening in, in this region, um, even in, you know the discussion of how finances can be pulled together to make a a project move if it's mm-hmm. if it's kind of in a, in a stuck situation. So, yeah, no, the, just uh, PCOR partnership is the thing to search for. And uh, if, if there's any member interest for this part of the world, we'll be sure to uh, to, to, to to respond to any questions. Awesome! Thank you so much for that. Um, I'm sure yours is very similar, Benjamin, but could you please remind our listeners which region you're a part of and how to get a hold of you or other people in your region? Yes, absolutely. So so again, uh, I'm, I'm affiliated with the Southeast Carbon Utilization and Storage Acceleration Partnership, so the South, Southeastern United States. For, for those interested in learning more about our work and connecting with us, um, I would encourage the listeners to visit our website. That's sseb.org. Mm-hmm. Um, listeners can also email us at sseb at sseb.org. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll make mm-hmm. sure listeners are, are put in touch with the appropriate people. Um, in general, I think benefits are really similar to what was previously mentioned. We, we really enjoy engaging with, with industry and we enjoy outreach activities. Um, I, I think, you know, all of our project team members are anxious to spread the, the news of the good work that they're doing. Um, so again, I, w- I would encourage anyone that's interested to reach out. And again, the, the membership benefits are knowledge sharing and, and uh, things of that nature as well. Um, so yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And then lastly, Niraj and Sally are both here from the same um, region. Sally, would you just remind our viewers of how to get a hold of you specifically? Um, yeah, so you can reach us, uh, the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative, at uh, www.midwestccus.org. And um, like uh, my colleagues, our colleagues here, um, you know, we host annual meetings and uh, webinars and a variety of other forms of knowledge sharing and, and technical engagement. Um, we're looking forward to the days when we can do that in person. Uh, mm-hmm. um, I wholeheartedly agree with Wes that the majority of the interaction and exchange that that we've seen happen happens, um, you know, in person at these meetings that provide great uh, platforms to uh, really leverage what everybody is learning and uh, to to share that to to further our development of commercial CCUS. Awesome. Thank you guys all so much for being here today. I really enjoyed speaking with you. And um, please reach out if you want to talk more in depth about specific parts of your region. We're here and we'd love to talk with you further. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by the Midwest Regional Carbon Initiative which is a structured five-year program funded by the U.S. Department of Energy. It is co-led by Battelle and the Illinois State Geological Survey. The initiative works to connect science, technology, and research to advance CCUS acceptance and deployment in 20 states across the Midwest, 
Mid-Atlantic, and New England regions of the United States. Do you have a question or would like to be featured for one of our CCS-related podcasts? If so, please send us an email at energygeos1 at gmail.com and one of our experts will kindly answer your email. Thank you for tuning in.